Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Omarvind, and as always, I'm joined by Grant Little. We're bringing this to you a bit later than usual because Grant had some things he had to do very late into the night after the game. I was preoccupied doing post-match stuff, press conference, which, yes, I was able to attend, and I didn't mess up this time, and uh, doing play ratings and stuff like that. And we're recording just about noon the next day on a Friday to talk about, of course, Real Madrid Femenino's 3-0 victory over Kharkiv. Grant, you're a little tired, but how are you doing, my man? Yeah, I'm ready to talk about this. I'm glad that, you know, I went into this long day of work with a win because uh, an L to Kharkiv would have would have made the, the grind a little more difficult. So I'm excited to talk about it now. Yeah, and who knows? Like, an L might not have been out of the question. There were some crazy things happening this match day. Arsenal lost to Hoffenheim, and they were pretty close to dropping two more goals, which would have taken them out. And then Chelsea were that just was flat insane. out. They were just taken out by Wolfsburg. I mean, it was just a disastrous performance. And Wolfsburg completely mopped the floor with them. I got to go back and take a look at that and see what was going on. But thankfully, nothing like that in our game versus Kharkiv. I will say it wasn't that easy, especially like the first 20 minutes or so. They were quite organized. Like if you guys remember when we played them first off, like it wasn't till the end of the first half where we really got going and we felt like, okay, we're the superior team. I wouldn't say it took quite as long in this one, but it wasn't like that easy. It wasn't like the Breda League matches. They, they're a good team. Like I, I've come away from these two matches like pretty impressed with their organization and how they make things tough for the opposition. But at the end of the day, 3 0 win and all said and done, it was fairly comfortable. So, Grant, as usual, we were a bit frustrated with the squad list coming out so late, but it appears that this time there was a decent excuse in that all the players were, were being given PCR tests because obviously we had multiple positives in the men's team which I think for Luca it's come back negative again, but there's still other players who are out. And so Real Madrid take this really seriously, I think, more than most clubs, especially in Premier Ibadrola, I think we take it the most seriously. And so we were testing all of our players and basically we were waiting for everyone to come back negative or some came back positive, whatever the case, before we released the squad list. And thankfully, every single player was available, bar Malena, who has not been included in the squad for for entirely different reasons, right? So good news there. I guess the one time we'd want a squad list to be late, right? Let's do this properly. But, you know, it was we, we got it like some hours before the game. We ended up getting the lineup some hours after, and then we just went right into it. I attended both the pre-match and post-match press conference. Pre-match, I asked Toril about a couple of things. So I asked him about Aslani's form because, in my opinion, these last three games before the Kharkiv one were the best that she's played. Grant, I think you share that opinion with me. And so I just asked him, you know, what do you think of Aslani's performances and her skill set and stuff like that? And, you know, kind of fairly standard answer, asserting that she's an important player for us. And, you know, she's important like all the other players. But I think the interesting thing was like he was went out of his way to say that he was carefully managing Aslani's minutes. Uh, which will be an important thing to talk about later on because Aslani ends up going off at halftime. And then 
unsurprisingly, he basically dodged my question on like winter reinforcements. I should have probably known better that, that there was no way he was going to ask something about transfers. You know, basically the, the standard stuff. We shouldn't talk about these things right now. Let's just w- worry about the game tomorrow. And uh, Naikari was there um, as usual. Like, we don't know who the players are going to be beforehand. So I like have to develop a question on the fly. And given the mistake I made last time, I, I'm still too nervous to do that. There also were like, was no one at the pre-match press conference. So it's like, I didn't have any time to, to like develop a question in and like check it and make sure everything was okay. Like there was me and like the RMTV person. And that was it at the pre-match press conference. And uh, so, yeah, it wasn't like the first time when I asked Osnar and I was like the 10th person in line to ask something. So if I'd wanted to change something much, much earlier, I would have had the time. But Naikari said some interesting things, nevertheless, and I specifically about the fans. And this is another thing that will become relevant later on as, as, as we talk about certain moments in the match. But basically, like really emphasizing how the support of the fans really does help the players. It's quite a tangible benefit, especially when you consider that most of the time Real Madrid play, there's barely anyone there. And basically saying like she really enjoys Champions League nights at Di Stefano and that it really, really helps lift them through crucial moments and basically helps them play better, right? Like the, the effect of the fans is a real thing. And the more fans we can get in the stadiums, the more people we allow, it has a direct impact on performances. And again, this will become relevant as we talk about the game because there was like, there was just such an obvious moment where this was the case. So going into this, starting lineups grant more rotations like Peril has has rotated a fair amount over these four games it seems like minutes management especially coming off this injury crisis is something he's been really really wary about no qualms with the starting lineup no qualms at all yeah like you said I think it's important that we rotate especially with how we've had players in and out of injury I was excited to see Maite and Teresa together in midfield. I was excited to see Naikari get the start. And obviously, we got the, the first start back for Martha Cardona. So I had no real complaints about it. I was a little curious as to why Ivana wasn't starting, but it could have also just been rotation. But it was a pretty solid rotated lineup. You had some starters in there, some who aren't. And there's also, we're still trying to figure out who are, you know, the Once de Gala for Thoreal. And I don't think he's probably figured that out yet. So it's fun to see some different combinations of players. But I think that also lends to potentially having some slower starts like we saw in this match. But overall, I thought it was a fine starting lineup that I had confidence could get the job done. So Micah Jimenez asked Thoreal about Ivana in the post-match press conference. And basically, I mean, there were some tweets going out about it, like, before the match started as the match was beginning. And he basically just reiterated what I think Arantxa said, which was that Ivana said that she wasn't feeling well. So we sent her home and uh, we'll reevaluate later. And, and that was it. So you can try to imagine what that means. That's all the information we have. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens later about that. So that was, there was some, there was some issue with Ivana and that's why she was taking out, taken out of the starting lineup last second and Rocio was put in instead if I'm remembering correctly about who was already in, in the lineup right so yeah and so Rocio's put in I think it was interesting we got to see Bob's play at right center back which maybe for the first time because 
usually when she's paired with Ivana, Ivana plays right center back. And by the way, that whole thing, right? We had that whole discussion about Ivana left center back problem and everything. So I went back because initially this is the question I wanted to ask Toril, not about Aslani in the pre-match press conference, but I wanted to ask him about Ivana. And so I went back and I watched matches from Ivana. I mean, it's not like I had to watch the entire thing, right? You only need to watch so many minutes to be able to establish what a player's position is. But I went back and looked at like six, seven matches over like the entirety of her last season with Levante and she was playing left center back. So the reason I didn't ask Toriel about it is because that just makes everything way more confusing because through Valencia, through Levante, she was playing left center back. Then she comes to Real Madrid and she has an entire season at right center back starts this season at right center back. And then the last few games before Osnar gets sacked, he puts her at left center back. And she's continued at left center back under Toril. So I have no clue like how to phrase a question like about why Toril is doing this, because to him, it might just be like, what are you saying? Like, that's her natural position. I come out of this with like more questions and less clarity than I have before. I mean, I'm still pretty clear on the idea that I think Ivana at right center back is actually better. And it might have been something that one thing Osnar did right like whether I don't know why he did it we never know why he does anything but it seemed like that's one of the more positive changes he made before he ended up switching it back for whatever reason so yeah I guess I just wanted to like update you on what I found there because it was a whole thing on the prior podcast segment anyway the center back's moving all over the place Bob's at right center back today I think she had a good performance Rocio at left center back how did you feel about the start to this game we both talked about it being slow you put maybe some of that down to rotations, but also write some fairly impressive organization from Haraki. Aslani barely had any touches in the first half. She had some moments where she had a shot, but by Sofa score, only 12 touches in that first half. And I think when Aslani is not involved, that always tends to be a sign that the opposition is really good at shutting off space between the line. Yeah, I think they did a, <clears throat> a really good job of staying organized early and transitioning through different phases of Real Madrid's buildup. Like I thought they did a good job to kind of press with a front three, but then you know, when we were able to bypass that, if we were able to bypass that, they would drop into a mid block. And I thought it, they made it difficult to try and get through centrally, find us Lani. I think they also did a really good job of picking off passing lanes early on and creating some semi-transition opportunities where it, they, they looked like the more dangerous side in the first half of the first half of the first half up until we got the first goal. So I was impressed how they started. I think that we could have done things better to mitigate that. But overall, I liked the confidence that they came out with and played with to try and really go toe to toe with us. It was a good start from them. I didn't think it was easy for us at all. Like very organized when they shuddered back into that four, four, two mid block and really left no obvious passing lanes through to the center and this is something to watch as time goes by I mean I don't really expect anything now but one of the limiting aspects of our possession play under Osnar was the ability to find options between the lines progress centrally and just you know against opponents that defended well regardless of the level right we just go wide try to like force balls down the down the touchline put crosses into the box can this be something that under Toril we can improve and do a better job of diversifying basically how we approach the final third? And 
again, it's way too early to start drawing like any real tactical differences by basic logic. You'd assume that most of what their team is doing is going to have some similarities with what Osnar was doing or what Osnar wanted because three games, four games isn't really enough to imprint one's own tactical identity. I do think like the positioning of the central midfielders, um, especially like the ball side central midfielder moving up between the lines, the other one coming across and playing deeper. And then like that dance going back and forth as we switch from side to sides is a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. But it is interesting that like when I watch this team in comparison to some of the matches I watched under Toriel in the past, where the wingers tend to be more inverted, like our wide players tend to be like very, very wide, right? Like Muller always tends to be on the touchline. Obviously Cardona is a proper winger, but she likes to come inside a fair amount. But like so far they've tended to be quite wide. And um, that's, that's interesting. Maybe that's still, you know, an Osnar thing. That's how he liked his wingers to play, but that'll be something to see going forward, especially given someone like Muller, who we'll, we'll, we'll have a whole thing talking about because I asked Podil about him about her sorry and maybe another difference we can we can mention is it does feel like we're a bit more patient on the ball like looking to switch from side to side as we progress not necessarily just forcing passes over the top like maybe we've done in the past but i wonder how that works with like team just feeling more relaxed now that they've entered a new era so anyway i think it's kind of an underrated storyline of this game that we didn't create that many open play chances and i think a lot of that has to do with Kharkiv's defensive organization and that yeah we still have a lot of growth to do as a possession unit the other thing was like i really ended up liking maite and Tede's performances over the full 90 but they kind of had a rough start like there was one giveaway from maite that led to one of those semi-transition opportunities you're talking about grant Tede like sprayed like three or four passes that were off but once they began to kind of click into their rhythm and my day ended the game with like 90% passing accuracy, Tede had eight out of nine long balls. So they really did get into it. I think that's when you started to see Real Madrid be able to push Harkiv back a little bit. And if not create shots and go from open play, start to win set pieces, which ultimately is what decided the game at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. I, I really liked their performance as well. I thought it was interesting that whenever Terry's playing under Toriel, that she's kind of the deepest midfielder, the pivot. We've seen Maite as that as sometimes, and we also haven't seen them play too much together this season, especially when Osnar was still the coach because of injuries. But I thought her Terry's ability to spray the ball around was really, really beneficial. I thought she did a good job of that holding midfield spot, and I liked Maite kind of in that number 10 role while she was pressing. I thought she did a really good job filling in the gaps and hounding players and turning the ball over on the defensive side and kind of sparking our own semi-transition opportunities. I thought those two were exceptional. For my money, Terry was the best player of the game. I thought she was, she was really influential and did a lot to help our possession game. You thought Terry was the best player. I thought Kenty was the best player. Uh, to be fair, in my ratings, they weren't far off. Like, Tede was 0.5 less than Kenti. But Kenti, I thought, had an incredible performance down that right-hand side. She just kept growing into the game more and more. Like some of the combinations she was initiating on the underlap after playing passes forward were vintage, vintage Kenti. Obviously going down the overlap powerfully. Two out of three crosses into the completed crosses. One assist, obviously, but also defensively, 
the way she recovered and just cut out attacks time and time and again, I thought it was a really, really impressive performance. She just dominated the right wing all by herself. And we'll get to Cardona, but I think it's more impressive because I didn't think Cardona was that great. Obviously, she's still getting back into things. But by my, my money, Kenti was the best, but I don't think Tere was that far. I think if you pick Maite, Tere, Kenti, I don't think you can necessarily go wrong with either of those three. I think yeah, the, those, those three, three all, were the best on the pitch on the day, I think. I'm going through your immediate reaction, and uh, you don't have any like bullet point notes until the 19th minute, which I think kind of sums up our start. But in the 19th minute, we score, and it is from a set piece. And what a ball that was from Tere, since you were the one waxing lyrical about, about her. Do you want to take us through this one? Yeah, this was, this was kind of what started Real Madrid's performance. I think we talked about those first 20-ish minutes not being too good. We get a free kick. Tere stands over it, swings in this really, really nice ball to Bob's, who was just peeled off her defender. She's completely unmarked, flicks the header toward goal. It's saved right into her path, and she kind of like slowly rolls it into the back of the net. It almost looked like it was going to be cleared off the line for a second. And that was Bob's first goal for Real Madrid. Been a long time coming. She's she's had a few headers that maybe could have gone in, but it felt good. You could clearly tell that that she was pumped. And I think we'll get into this, but it has shown a pattern of Real Madrid being much more dangerous on offensive set pieces, something that we did not do at the beginning of this season. Yeah, so let's get into it right now because I think this is the defining tactical story of the match. And I will say that under Osnar, I did see us try things on offensive set pieces. Like there, there, there's, we definitely did some creative things at times. It was defensive set pieces that drove me insane. But this felt different. I felt like in this match, we saw more things tried in the entirety of this game than we've seen all season. And I say this as someone who didn't think offensive set pieces under Osnar was like horrible. I thought when I compare it with other women's teams around the world, it's right about at par when, when I'm looking at the creativity. And for whatever reason, in women's football, there tends to be more creativity with these things. So keep that in mind. It's a high standard. But we had, I think, 10 corners or something like that. We had multiple free kicks. There were plenty of opportunities to show it off. But the variation was really quite something. There was more classic things, like, we, like how we scored on that free kick, right? Just putting in a good ball over the top a sharp diagonal run from one of the wide areas coming in. Rocio ended up getting on a lofted delivery and coming somewhat close to scoring, or maybe you, you could say she, she could have done better. And then there were lots of low ground passes to runners in behind, right? Almost like it was an open play situation and you just have someone running off the shoulder and you play a through ball to them. And those were like some of the ones that really popped to me. And I think made use of Tede's passing ability in a clever way with with all the clever attackers we have who, who can you know, run over the top. And then I like the stuff we were doing on corners where we form a little triangle. Parkeep didn't really seem to adapt. Uh, like they just have two players out there, right, to deal with the short corner. But we'd bring someone else over, have a little passing triangle, be able to release someone free into space to be able to put in a cutback or get a cross off because obviously two players can't deal with three. And there's one moment where Cardona was just barely offside. That was like one of the routines I liked the most. Like there were, there was some really cool stuff going on that 
really just created the overwhelming majority of our chances. This was an offensive set-piece performance that led us to this victory in a game where if we didn't have that, I have a feeling the entire view of this performance would be a lot more negative because it was kind of dry and open play. Even when things got better, even when we were progressing to the final third more, we weren't creating that much. And I think part of that is down to like, obviously, Aslani shut out, but you know, Cardona is still getting back into it. Those two are more involved. It's, it's always a different story, but it was offensive set pieces that really made this feel like, wow, this is, this is a good performance. And it was, right? You can't just be like, oh, it was set pieces. They're a part of the game, right? They're a valid way of winning, and they're often underutilized. And it's nice to see us utilize it and exploit them like this because it's one of those, quote-unquote, cheap ways of doing it. Like it's, it's one of the easier ways to improve, right? If you're looking at team that feels like they've hit a ceiling in a lot of areas or they're finding difficulty progressing and, and getting better in certain areas, this is an easy way to just like, we can, be, we can become the 99% percentile in execution in this because even in women's football, though I see a lot more creativity, it's still underexploited to a crazy degree. And it's an easy, easy way, relatively easy way to pick up points. So I enjoyed it. Micah Jimenez also asked Toriel about the set pieces, whether he prepared it, which he obviously did pregame and basically he just said we have people in the coaching staff who are good at this stuff and that we had been rehearsing these things the day before the game and it all worked out well and that we're going to keep doing this and we always look for ways to damage opposition which music my ears yeah and i think that that's part of the reason why i've rated Terry's performance so highly i mean I don't think that the the one to Bob's necessarily goes down as an assist because of the rebound, but just because she was so influential in creating almost all of our chances because they all came from set pieces. I think, you know, obviously it was a nice set piece for the second goal, but the finish was what really made that happen. But it was another Teresa ball. I think that I think you're right in saying that if we did not if we didn't have these set pieces we would be taking a look at this performance very differently because I don't know where the goals come from. But I would say that apart from maybe not being the best in the final third, I thought overall most of the defense and the midfield were pretty good. It was just kind of that thing that we've had with this team where we can't just, we can't get it clicked in the final third. But I also had a little complaints about the transition defense and this is maybe when the game was gone a bit and we were collapsing in on each other I thought Corradera had a had a pretty rough game defensively although she did make that that crucial intervention at at the end of the game but it was it was an offensive set piece kind of day but I don't like I thought the midfield and the defense played relatively well we just couldn't get it connected we didn't have that fluidity to kind of break down the the tough Kharkiv defense so I asked Valentina Kocic I think how you pronounce her last name probably not uh, about how she tried to deal with these set pieces basically at halftime whether she said anything either it got lost in translation because obviously I don't know I don't know Ukrainian and there was a translator there for her or she just kind of like dodged it which I think is more the second one I don't know. I guess I asked kind of a tough question. I said, Real Madrid obviously like did really well with offenses at pieces and they scored a couple of goals and it troubled you a lot. Did you say anything about it at halftime? And she just kind of said, 
of course, we had weaknesses that we wanted to correct. And I was telling you at halftime, we believed that we could score in great moments. He said, like, the problem was that several key players got injured or the translator said that to me. I don't know whether she was saying they had injured players going into this match or whether because a couple players did end up going off in the second right. half for them. I mean, if it was the latter, like, yeah, obviously that's not great. But, but when that happened, like the game was like over, there was no, like, I don't no, know. Yeah, that, it wasn't at halftime. Yeah, I don't know if that affected things. Um, but yeah, it, I got to ask her a question. She didn't really want to answer it, which fair enough. But it would have been interesting to hear what she had to say dealing with those set pieces. It was that, that part of the press conference was, was interesting because it was like five, six Ukrainian journalists just rattling stuff off. And after that, the translator was like, does anyone else from the other media want to ask anything? And like, there was just silence. Managing like, Madrid's own arm. <laughs> there was like silence for like 10, 15 seconds. I was like, really? No one else is going to ask anything? And so I was like, fuck it. I'll just ask. And because it is in English, I could just ask something on the fly. And so I was the only non-Ukrainian media person to ask her a question, which I found a little odd. Like, if, I feel like it's, it's, it's a dream for a press person to just be like anyone else like here's your chance so i asked her um maybe it wasn't the best question maybe there's another way to kind of like get an answer out of her but i'm learning i'm practicing anyway so that that's all the set piece stuff in terms of final third display and cutting edge so there is another tactical element that like we need to find a way to evolve to right otherwise we're just not going to be one of the elite of the elite teams but i think a huge portion of it is when Cardona is spending the first 30 minutes losing the ball every time she tries a dribble or a pass combination, obviously that's going to hurt you quite a bit. And funnily enough, like I still think she was really dangerous. Like at the end of her 55 minutes, when you think about like an attacker who had caused the most problems, it, it landed on her. And then after that, Muller started doing things, but that's just how good she is. And that's how much danger she causes with any action she did. And after those 30 minutes, she, she did start to get better and she started to do more things. But yeah, I mean, when Cardona is like way, way off her game, it's going to completely change the outlook of what your attack looks like. Think about having the peak Cardona in that situation and the amount of chances she had to go at the fullback. Even half of those come off. There's a good cross going into the box, right? Maybe a cutback to Naitari. And by the way, I think not just because they played together before, but because of the quality of delivery that Cardona can put in, and the fact that it tends to be a lot of cutback stuff, I think someone like Naikari can really benefit from someone like her. But I think that was a big limiting factor on the day, which is a positive in the long term because we don't expect this to last. Cardona is going to come back and be Cardona, and it's going to change the outlook of this attack without changing anything else, right? Like that's why we were able to get second place last season, despite complaining about the tactics all the time. So I think that's a thing to, to actually be happy about because that's something that's going to improve, which knock on wood. She, she stays fit and everything she did take a blow to her like heavily wrapped knee which wasn't pleasant to see like car keys started to get quite physical in that second half which i was worried about but yeah so what did you think about cardona's performance i think that she's still maybe lacking a little confidence in her fitness and her ability to go through challenges it seemed to me like maybe she was hopping out of some challenges early that she maybe would try a nutmeg or go through a defender in the past, which is completely understandable. I think it's just going to take some time for her to figure out where her body's at and make sure that she 
starts to relearn the game a little bit and, and get back into things. I thought there were bright moments. She had some good moves. She had some defenders bring her down pretty hard. But it's going to take some time. She's been out for a long time. I think it's promising that we're seeing good signs already because for a player that's been out this long, it, it could take a minute. But to see that she's healthy enough to start, still have the confidence to go at players, it's, it's good. I think it might take a little time before we see, you know, the, the Martha Cardona that we all know and love, but it's part of the process and we need to get her those minutes because when she's at that level, she's the best player on the team, no doubts about it. One thing I will say is that when we start Cardona in full flight, all out sprint, there were three or four moments, she looked good. Like she looked fast. I didn't see any problem. And that's the thing that will always worry, the mo- worry me the most is like, how is the explosiveness affected by like a knee injury and she looked good like she looked fast as hell and that's one of the critical parts of her game we can't talk about cardona and not talk about my man the greatest commentator in the zone history who was on the broadcast a different guy than the one that we've been talking about in the past who like had his cardona fact sheet out and was just listing stuff off throughout the game Right. He talked about how if there was one player Cardona would renew for 10 years, it would be Mike Heroes. I don't hear many people do this. People do this with Aslani all the time, but he mentioned her statistics from last season, mentioned that she had 14 league goals and man was just going and going. He was like, she's a dangerous player. You know, last season she was on a completely different planet. It was like I got a chance to commentate and, you know, I just <laughs> unleashed the fanboy side of me. It was so good. Like this, I need this guy on every single rounded game from, from now on. RMTV, hire this guy, do an English, Eng- English commentary for the games, get him on Ata football. I want him everywhere. I want him on all the Real Madrid games. And the best part, and this was like him kicking off, you know, it's like he, he had all it prepped, right? He knew what all the juicy you know, notes were and, and he had lined it all up the well-spaced throughout the match. And Really early in, like four minutes, 50 seconds, he says, Marta Cardona, also known as Flash Cardona for her explosive pace. And you and I were like, I messaged Holy We were shit. like both texting at the same time. <laughs> I was like, that is so cool. Marina Leyenda, like, I, I mean, it's crazy, man. It's still crazy to me to this day. That, what an like, influencer. Yeah, that, that like an internet joke like that got into the dressing room and was like let's understand what this is like a champions league commentator official accredited champions league commentator using the nickname you invented and real madrid's femme's twitter account as well they didn't say flash cardona but they had like the lightning bolts on either side of her name like it's one over right like there was the whole magic marta stuff that nah that's out that's out now. It's Flash Cardona. It is the official, official nickname. The real ones always do what it was. <laughs> it's won the battle. And I mean, that was really cool. Like, and so, yeah, I mean, if a commentator is going to be like Flash Cardona, Cardona's on a different level compared to everyone else. You're a statistic. Like, I mean, you're going to win me over. I like, you can literally say like nonsense for the rest of the game. I don't care. Like, you're my guy. So, yeah, on every, every boundary match, double his salary. This guy knows what it's about. He, he does his research. Yeah, that was probably the most fun part of the match, and I just had a good time watching it. So it was, it was a fun experience altogether. And also because I, I kind of said we were done with the offensive set piece, but we didn't talk about Maite's Golasso. 
which really got me off, off my seat because holy shit, what a strike that was. Really, really nice set piece action, right? This is one of the short set piece won by some Cardona magic as well. Yeah, won by some Cardona magic. And Pede takes it short and plays it to Maite. Beautiful strike from the edge of the box into the roof of the net. Goalkeeper didn't know what flew past her. And a little detail that everyone was pointing out on Twitter was that Cardona was, if she was involved winning the free kick, she was more involved actually being a blocker, like kind of how you would in basketball when you set up like a screening action, usually in an after timeout play, but also, you know, you could just set up something, you know, in, in the fluidity of it all. But it's really only something you can do in football on set pieces. And she, she did like a really good and deliberate job blocking someone from being able to cut out the passing lane to Maite and allowing for that free shot. I'm fairly certain all of these blocking actions are basically fouls, but they're never called. And I think that's just like a, a gray area you have to exploit. And all the best offensive set piece teams employ this. And so it's good that that was employed. This was obviously something that was, that was prepared beforehand and it worked to perfection. If you're going to generate a shot from outside the box, you better people than Mike to have a clean look and go for it. Yeah. I mean, what a strike. That was in- insane. It was a nice little set piece, but those, those rarely find the top corner, but it was, it was absolutely beautiful. First time curling away from the goalkeeper into the top corner. That was some Mike magic for sure. That was a beautiful, beautiful goal. Best of the night, in my opinion. Although we did finally get one in open play, which was something that I was kind of calling for in the second half. We just got it a whole lot later than, than I expected it to come because I thought the second half we started and it looked like we had completely taken the foot off the gas. The game was over. And we saw some subs as well because Esther and Claudia Florentino came on. A little more of this rotation that Toriel was uh, talking about Florentino goes into center back for Rocio and Aslani comes off for Esther. And this is where all the drama was right around Aslani coming out. Yeah. So I'm glad you went there because that's what I wanted to talk about next. I asked Toriel about this. Um, I'm actually surprised Micah Jimenez didn't get to it first because she asked Torivana. But when I saw that she left out, I was like, okay, I got to ask about this. And he kind of started it off like indicating that maybe it was a tactical decision and like again really emphasizing how he wants to manage minutes like this i think is the theme of toril's tenure so far where he says like in the end you try to save the players a bit we have many games in a row we played we've been playing three three games um uh, sorry we've been playing a game every three days in the last month we have a really large squad and we have a player who just came back from a long-term injury, basically implying, right, if we have a, lo- a large squad with a player who just came back, we're, we're going to need to rotate. But he did then say, like, we will look at Aslani in the morning if she actually has something. Let's not, let's hope not. But in the event of her absence, we have other people who are ready. So, like, admitting that, yeah, there was something going on. I think some people saw Aslani pointing to her leg or thigh at some point in the first half. I think Esther was even warming up well before the first half even ended. So it does appear that there was some knock with Aslani and they're going to check and evaluate. The way Toriel said it, it did not seem like there was anything too serious, which is good. And that he was just being ultra cautious with Aslani, which I'm fine, especially when you're 2-0 up at halftime, like just take her off. She says anything is wrong with her, take her off. 
we have S there. And um, you said we took our foot off the gas a little bit, which is probably true. But when you put S there on, you can only take your foot off the gas so much because she only, she only knows how to one way of playing, which is 110% full throttle all the time. And so that was basically the case with that. We'll have to see if more information comes out. Probably not. We scroll through Arancha's replies and see if she says anything. But if she's on the squad list for the next match, I would assume like it wasn't anything serious. So that was the whole Aslani thing that everyone was freaking out about. And I, I really wanted to make sure I could ask him if I was allowed to ask another question, which I was because there weren't many people there. The first thing I asked him about was about Muller. Because if there was maybe one qualm I had with this lineup theoretically, it's that you put Muller out there with Coradera. Coradera, as we've talked about beforehand, will be a player who inverts, cuts inside, looks to take up more interior positions, which means the wide player to establish good balance has to, has to be on the cut line. And my worry is like, is that really the best place to put Muller? I mean, I know she's a versatile player. She can play out wide, she can play out up top. But I feel like even when she's out wide, I feel like inverting her, having her receive more between the lines, get some of that back-to-goal play element from a nominal wide position might be like the best compromise way of using her out wide, which is just not going to happen with Coradera because Coradera wants to be there taking up those positions, right? Whereas like if you paired Muller with Olga, I think that's a really good fit. So I didn't like it all said and done. I think Muller actually had a pretty good performance and made the utmost of what she was supposed to do from that type of position before we get into what Toril said about it, because I think what he talked about in regard to Muller were the most interesting things he had to say in the press conference. What did you feel about Muller's performance about playing a more touchline role and where you think she, she, her best position is? Yeah, I thought, I thought she was pretty bright out on the wing, um, had some good footwork, good dribbling sequences, created a lot of danger and she was well relatively to what we created in this match from open play and she did it basically by herself because I don't think Coradera offered much help on that side of the field for her offensively so I thought it was pretty bright she obviously faded in and out of the game because she was kind of isolated and with having Cardona and Kenty on the other wing you're obviously gonna have more action down that flank as to what position i think she's best at i'm not 100 percent sure yet i think that you know that aslani role is a good one where she's able to have that back to goal play a little bit she's able to drop off and link up but i do think that if you have her there it does limit some of what she could do i think she like she gets into space and she's a lot quicker than she looks. She has good footwork and could take on players. And I'm wondering if maybe some kind of inverted winger role is the best. If you can find some way tactically that she still is able to drop off into these spaces and maybe she drops into the 10 at times and Aslani pulls wide and there's some fluidity there. That way you get the best of both worlds without limiting her skill set because I do think she has a really well-rounded skill set for being kind of an attacking midfielder slash number 10 and a winger. I more and more really like the idea of Muller as a deep line forward because I think that fits her qualities the best. But 
I don't hate her as a winger. I think if you can get her receiving more inside positions more often, it's a good balancing act. And basically how I see her skill set is it's like the strongest facets of her game to me are her ability to receive back to goal, especially with her chest, but also well two feet, really strong hold up play, and then make late dangerous runs into space, take advantage of her size, her aerial ability, and get shots off in the box. Like I think those are the most valuable actions she does most consistently to affect a game in our favor while also taking advantage of more secondary stuff, like her feet are like really good. Her foot speed is excellent. She has really good close control. And that's what you need when receiving in tight spaces, trying to spin past defenders. You do need an element of dribbling ability, which obviously someone like Aslani has. And that's why I really, really like her there. But I think the simple reality of the way the squad has been built with Esther, Naikari, Aslani, even some like someone like Lorena being maybe best used there, she's just not going to get minutes there, like often, unless there are injuries again, unless there are even more aggressive rotations. She's going to have to find a way out wide, and I do think it's easily possible to play her in that more inverted wing winger role, where you do get that element of her playing almost as a deep line forward, because in certain instances she will right. If you have Olga out there who can kind of own the left wing by herself, keep the width, and you have Muller come in and, and occupy the left half space with Aslani, who is more of a right half space player anyway, you actually creates like quite a nice balance if you think about it from a 4-4-2, right? You have whoever it is behind in, in that double pivot. So let's just say Maite Tere because they played on the day. And then in front of them would be Muller, Aslani in the half spaces whoever it is, Naikari, Esther, up top, occupying the defensive line. And then the wide players would be Olga and Cardona. Like, that actually creates quite a nice balance across the pitch and starts to manipulate the defense in an interesting way. So, like, the potential for that, like, really excites me. And I think Muller could be quite, quite good for it. Now, as to why I don't love, love her as more as this touchline winger is, although her feet is really quick, she has an underrated change of pace. I don't think she creates separation as easily as a Cardona, as an Atene, as an Olga, which if you're playing in that type of role, you need to be doing that like five, six, seven, eight times a game to be able to generate enough value to justify you being there. I think as part of her game, it's something that's really nice, but if you're having her do that all the time, there's a risk that in you know half or one half the game she plays, like she could end up looking a little more, you know, lost, a little less influential. It's kind of a weird thing to say because versus Harky, she had some really wonderful moments. And this comes back to what I was, what Naikari was talking about, about the fans. And Grant, you noticed this for sure because you, you talked about on Las Blancas account. Muller has a really nice, like, drag back skill to keep possession. It might have been the most beautiful skill of the night. And the crowd just starts chanting Muller's name. And then a minute later or something, the ball swings back to her and it's a nutmeg and a dribbling sequence towards goal where she gets all the way in the box, puts a ball into the box that's cleared and the crowd starts chanting her name again. And it just seems blatantly obvious to me that the crowd chanting her name, like she was like, all right, I'm going to do that again. I like that. And that's the effect of the fans, right? Yeah. And I mean, they've been great this year. They've been great during the league. But especially with like the higher quality broadcasts of the Champions League, 
you really get to hear it. And it's pretty awesome because we've known people that have traveled there. We know people that are holding the mics in the stands and, and leading that. And it's really great to see. It's what these players deserve. And I hope that, you know, Real Madrid just continues to let fans in and more and more fans in because this team's awesome. They deserve to be watched. I'm hoping one day when the Bernabeu is done and maybe, you know, we're able to have more fans in the stands, we, we get to have a match in the Bernabeu for the women's team to really let everybody come out because getting to Valdebeba sucks. <laughs> it is absolutely atrocious. It would make the game so much more accessible. It would be able to get more fans involved. But the fans have been doing great, and I, and I hope they keep it up because it's a lot. It makes the game more fun to watch, and obviously the players lo- love it too. They have a tangible effect. They improve our performance. We have direct evidence of this. It's actually there in like football literature, right? The home advantage is real. It's proven. If we want this team to win games, I was talking about easy ways to improve performance. Forget set pieces, forget any analysis. Just get more fans in the stadium and have them cheering and chanting players' names and motivating them to do magical things that do like positive things on the football pitch to affect goal difference, right? Which is ultimately what we all care about at the end of the day. So going back to discussion about Muller, Torilla had his own opinions on it. I basically asked him. What do you think is Muller's best position when she's receiving the center? She has really good tactical play and out wide, she's a good dribbler. Do you think a false winger position kind of indicate receiving more inside would be good for her is what I asked. And he said she can play in both positions, meaning as a striker, as a winger. But interestingly, he said where we see that she can have more possibilities is as a left winger. He said she's powerful, she moves well into space, she has ability. And then he kind of went on to a different tangent where he said he thinks she needs to improve her finishing and be more selfish after she's completed her dribble. That he thinks she has a good shot both outside and inside the area, but again, selfishness is needed, that he will alternate between the two positions. And yeah, I mean, right now she's playing as a winger. She has a, she's a player with a lot of real developmental possibilities and I'm very content with her work. So there's a lot of stuff he said there, right? At first, I think it's interesting that right off the bat, he does come out and say, even though he said he will switch positions, he does believe that left winger is her best position and then linking it to finishing because I think he wants her to cut inside and shoot way more, which I'll be interested to hear what you think about that. But he's quite impressed with her and clearly believe she can be a, a, a very valuable player in the squad. I will say that in conjunction with just commonsensical analysis of the, of the squad, with what Torilla has said here, I think she's going to get most of her minutes on the wing this season. So thoughts on this idea that she needs to be more selfish, and then also, I guess, anything else you, you feel about what Torilla said there? Yeah, it's always a fine line, right? With attackers being selfish, you want someone who's going to take the initiative to pull the rabbit out of the hat, but you also want someone who shares the ball. I do think that in this game, like before even hearing these quotes, because I didn't get a chance to because I was at work all night, I did think that there were some moments where she could have shot a little cut in, get by one defender, try and curl a shot towards the top corner. We've seen Cardona do it a million times. I think not only does that increase your chance 
for a goal directly from that shot. But if you try and unload that every once in a while, it then creates space for other players where you're able to be more selfish or less selfish and pass the ball off into areas because a defender has had to step to you. But if you're not taking those shots, then they don't need to step as aggressively. I don't know if I've seen Muller take too many shots from long distance, so I would be interested to see like what kind of strike she has on her. I mean, if if you beat a bunch of players, I'm not going to get mad at you for trying to take a shot usually. Like if you've done the work, unless there's a blatant passing lane that you've neglected, like sometimes it's good to take that shot because shots <laughs> you can't score without taking shots and we really have struggled to create in the final third still. And maybe something like that opens up and maybe she can get some more goals, create some more passing lanes. So I don't necessarily have a problem with this idea. I just think as like an additional tool, as an additional approach to what she's already doing, right? You Let's say you add one or two of these each game. I'm fine with it, right? It has positive benefits when you're not just trying to go for it all the time. Like what I don't want to happen is her to start just looking for her shot all the time. Doing a certain Zonosa, doing an Esther, doing a core there, right? Like we actually have a lot of players in the squad who are willing to just let go from distance, right? I think when the moment comes, the opportunity arises, don't hesitate, which is, again, it's a fine balance because you don't want to ignore better passing options. Like the data is pretty strong in that playing like a, a, a pass or a through ball, you know, to put someone into the box or close to the box is going to lead to a better outcome than just letting it loose from outside the box. But insert, especially when the defense is quite organized, they shut off options and you have like, you have a window, go ahead and shoot. And then, yeah, over time, it might start to actually create a little bit more space by drawing defenders out and you can play off of that. I don't think it needs to become like this super high volume thing. Like I wouldn't say, man, you know, this is like a huge deficiency in Mueller's game because it's just, it's not a high percentage approach, but she does it one or two times a game, right? She sees an opportunity. She goes for it, does it in the right moment. It's going to add a little bit of value that I think is positive. I do think it is really interesting though, that like unprompted Toriel went and talked about that. So that's clearly something he wants. And let's see, let's see if Mueller shoots more, in the following matches because, and I think we'll know exactly why that's the case and where that's come from. So I was quite pleased that he went into it and I got a fairly detailed answer on what he thinks about Muller. And so, yeah, likes her as a left winger, willing to switch positions, wants her to shoot more and be more selfish in front of the area. We still have to talk about, I guess, the rest of the performance in the second half although I don't know how much more complicated it is. You want to go straight to the goal. You have more things you want to say about other performances. Obviously, we had subs come on. Maybe yeah, we'll just, I was going to run through some subs real quick. Um, All right, go ahead. In the 57th minute, Lorena Navarro comes on for Cardona. She nearly creates another Mike de Golasso right off the bat, comes on, takes on a few players, kind of gets tackled while sliding for a, a ball. And it pops to Maite. Maite hits it first time, and it's tipped over the bar. Then um, we had Maite come out for Kasi, Athenea in for Muller. Athenea came on and was dribbling at players, which was dangerous considering the the Kharkiv were 
hacking and whacking at this point in the game. It seemed like they were pretty done with this game and wanted to, to get some fouls in there. And Kasi, I thought, was fine. Pretty quiet. The game was very disjointed at this point and and basically I think came on to give Maite a rest. I don't think there were any real standouts from the substitute performances, but I think that had a lot to do with game state, the game already being put to bed, as well as just the disjointed, chippy nature of the second half of the second half. I liked Athenea's performance coming on. Like, yeah, I'm scared for her when she tries to take the Mickey out of a defender, but I just love that attitude. Still love it. Like when she got pushed, like the smile on her face was like, I like, I piss you off and like, I love it. Right. Like I'm clearly aggravating you with my skill because I'm better than you. I love that kind of attitude. And um, she's just an extremely brave player. She has no fear. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how many mistakes she makes. She will go straight at the defender every single time and will embarrass you. And there's just so much potential with her. Like there's just so much stuff she does that when she matures her decision-making and finds the final ball more, we're going to have another Cardona on this team, and I can't wait. She was good. Don't have much to add about Kasi. Claudia came on and was largely decent. The two that I was really impressed with in terms of their cameos was one, Lorena, who came on in the right-hand side, and I just thought, like, it's, it's a classic Lorena performance, right? Like, in that she does so many things, right? One of the first things she does it makes a really nice run off the shoulder, gets one of our best box entries of the night, creates some danger. And then after that, dropping off, player kind of moving inside, linking up play really securely and helping us establish a bit more control till we got to that chippy end of the match. And that's what I want from a substitute when we're 2 up, right? Continuing to create offensive danger, but helping us get greater control of the match, right? It feels like we've not talked about Loreno in a long time, right? Like early on, when things were really going bad for us, she was the one player standing tall. Pun not, I guess that's not a pun, but I didn't intend it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one of the players standing up and really performing well. And then obviously she lost a lot of minutes since then as players have come back, but she's going to continue to be a valuable player throughout the season. It was a good cameo from her, but obviously Esther was the best one. She scored the goal at the end. Really, really gorgeous cross from Kenki. A fantastic run into the box from Esther and a good finish, but I thought her effect on progression was really positive, dropping off into the left half space a lot and helping us get towards goal. It was a strong performance from her, and I liked it. Esther has been good this season, and I think her relationship with Naikari is becoming more balanced. I don't know if I'll, I'll say, like, it's perfect. It's all working exactly how we want it to, but every game I feel like it gets more balanced, and the effect on for the team is more positive, although at the end of the day, I think our best lineup will have Aslani and one or the other. Basically, near the end, I kind of mentioned the goal. I don't know how much description is actually needed. If you want to go on about it some more, you can. This is the time to finish off with any kind of notes we have, any points we've missed. Yeah, I just in the, in the 89th minute, Corradera made a really crucial intervention that probably saved the clean sheet. I did not think she had a good game defensively, but it still was a really good challenge to to ensure the clean sheet. And the team, the team needs clean sheets. It's a good, it's a feel good 
statistic. I thought that it was in a, a bit of danger toward the end of that because I thought the transition D was really collapsing in on itself. And that was worrying to me, but I didn't know how much of that was actual structural something to worry about, or it was just game state and people were trying to get forward and score goals. But something that I'm going to keep an eye on in, you know, these next few games that will will be more important in the league. Core there is tackle at the end, like saved her player rating for me just because it was such a high leverage intervention. Like she misses that through on goal. <laughs> yeah. And, and a penalty through on goal, like it was really, really crucial. And it was like the one time she got the better of Olya Ovdichuk who was really damn good throughout this game. Like, I don't think Cordero handled her all that well, but she seems like someone who's clearly the best player on the team. I think she's been the best player for Harkiv throughout this tournament. I was impressed. She was producing stuff out of nothing, right? We had her own nutmeg. She had one moment nutmegging. I forgot who it was. Long carry up the pitch, threatening goal. There were four or five moments where I was like, that was, that was incredible. Like, she's honestly well, she, a fantastic player. She just absolutely dropped Cordero and had that one shot on Misa's goal, too, in the, I think it was in the first half, a really good solo move, and just toss Cordero to the side. Yeah, Ovdichuk seems to be one that, like one of those underrated players to have watched throughout the group stages and have fun watching. She used to play for Atletico Madrid a couple of seasons ago, if I'm not wrong. So she's been around. She's played for some important sides. She's a quality player. In terms of Coradera, like it was just one of those performances where like there's a lot of stuff that she does that's positive, but it just doesn't happen at the success rate you want it to, right? Like there were like four or five progressive passes that are like, those are really good. And then I go and look at her passing accuracy and it's 75%. And I'm like, you know what? That doesn't feel wrong because I also saw her miss a ton. And it's just why like I'm I'm low on her as like an elite elite player as a starter in the side because yeah she does do some positive things but it doesn't happen with the sharpness and security i wanted to right like you're always gonna like lose something and be worried about something like she's a backup player she was useful as a rotation piece and ultimately i think she ended up having like a net positive contribution primarily because of that tackle at the end but also yeah she does have some progressive passing juice in her and just that like it doesn't happen at like the consistent level I wanted to. And yeah, Olga is, is also better at that too. So I think we have a pretty good handle on who Cordera is at this point, especially when playing that left back role. Okay, any other things we want to talk about? I think I've gone through all the post-match stuff that's relevant. There's a little, there's a few more quotes you guys can go up on the site and read it if you want both pre-match and post-match stuff. But I got to... The, the most important relevant points you guys would have wanted to know about most probably any last thoughts from you grant i think just big picture wise i mean 12 points out of a champions league group that's pretty that's that's pretty great i mean once we saw the, the group that we we drew into i think that we thought that we could advance but but 12 points finishing in second place going to the knockout rounds like if you would have told me that Last season, I I don't I would have I don't know what I would have said. I didn't think that that was probably something that's possible. And you see us advancing to this round, and you've seen a lot of other big teams not do it. All we got a pretty good draw. Like I'm thinking about Chelsea in that draw, and that's a tough draw. 
but they were last year's finalists. And I'm not in any way comparing ourselves to Chelsea because they are far and away better than us. I'm just trying to put in perspective that this is way better than we ever thought that this first Champions League campaign would go. And I'm excited. It's going to be extremely tough looking at the next few teams. I think, honestly, right now, Arsenal is the team that you want to draw. I, I, Ohm, you may have different opinions than me, but having Arsenal be the team that you want to draw out of this last eight is, is a testament to the quality that we'll be facing in these so next two championships. People were putting games. up the teams that we can face, and they kept saying Leon, Wolfsburg, and, and Barca. Were people just saying like those are the most dangerous we can face, or those are the three that we have to like pick from or like draw from? Um, because I'm not 100% I, I sure. think everyone was posting those were the three, and if those are the three, I mean, oh well, yeah, I mean, and then is it? I, I'm not 100% sure, but is it like the men's Champions League where you can't get a Spanish side in the first round? No, because people were talking about Barca, so okay, I don't know. The rules, yeah, are well, nice Arsenal to... got got second in their group, so that would make sense if we weren't able to to play them i was just pointing out arsenal as probably the weakest side other than us right now that's left in the competition and they're still they're still a good bit better than us but yeah i think it's wolfsburg all the first place teams wolfsburg barca leon are the ones which my god which (laughs) they're not great i mean i would take wolfsburg but wolfsburg are better than us just anybody but barca like please like we we already have to play them twice a year maybe more can we can we get like Leon or Wolfsburg? I mean, Leon not would that. Leon would batter us too. Like Wolfsburg is the one I want, not because oh my god they're so weak, but they no, have we'll more, probably they get ha- battered by them as well. Yeah, I mean I they mean, have there's more. There's no good option. They have more vulnerabilities than Leon and Barca. They're a less complete team. They have more problems at the back, and I feel like we can put up a good fight and maybe we can get lucky. And if we make the semifinals, like holy shit, like it's like a dream Champions League campaign, right? Yeah, whatever happens from now is a bonus. And, and we uh, said just, that last at the, like, I once think we beat Manchester City, I think. <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy it, you know? I'm just going to yeah. enjoy it. This is where we want to be. And um, it's fun to face teams like this. It's fun to talk about facing the best sides in Europe. We so, say that now. <laughs> Wait till the post Well, we get smashed 4-0 <laughs> in the first half. It won't be so fun then. But for now, so that's way in the future. I think we don't get to Champions League knockout rounds until March. So, like, yeah. there's a huge gap of time, which is unfortunate because this is where I can ask questions in the press conference. So that's not going to happen for quite a while. And I think the most fun games we watched has been in the Champions League. That has been the best football. On the horizon is a few league matches for us before we head into the holidays. December 19th, Sunday, Madrid CFF, 6 a.m. unfortunately, but apparently our December 22nd match on a Wednesday versus Sporting Club us 10 a.m. I don't know what the televised situation is for the Madrid CFF match. As always, we're just going to have to see, but presumably that's when we'll be with you guys next. Until then, Ala Madrid. All Madrid.